0: Welcome to Before You Go, I'm Bryant Monte.
1: And I'm Nicole Franklin, and for our conversation today, we're speaking with mental health professional Helena
0: Washington. Now, many of us are facing challenging times, and it can be a bit stressful. Now, we may often feel overwhelmed and uncertain, especially in light of the recent surge in COVID-19.
1: So today on Before You Go, we discuss mental health
0: and the well-being of our mental state. We are joined by Helena Washington. Now She's a licensed addiction specialist, mental wellness and behavioral health diversity authority with over 25 years of experience. Welcome to our show. Thank
2: you, good afternoon, thank you for having me.
0: When it comes to mental health, what are some of the things that we really need to know about mental health so that we can help ourselves and help each other?
2: Um, one of the first things I like uh, individuals and families to understand is mental health is not in a box. It is a very broad, um, varying aspects um, when it takes a look at mental wellness and what that means for each individual, also in which stage of life they are in. Um, so, all of those factors are significant to your mental health, um, which leads to appropriate mental wellness. Mm-hmm. So I love you know, the opportunity to expound on that because I think sometimes in the media, just based on movies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the times we tend to encapsulate, you know, what mental health is. Um, and sometimes we see the worst and we don't see the healing and what it takes to maintain homeostasis.
0: you you
1: threw a big word at us there (laughs) homeostasis what is that please
2: uh stability um just the stability of making it day by day um stability in the sense of learning to thrive especially through the current challenges that we're you know we're all experiencing right now that we didn't expect um So there is a push now where people are becoming more comfortable with seeking help um, for their mental health. Uh, You know, especially within, you know, the populations of color, mainly, you know, when I look at African American families, we are expounding, you know, beyond just going to the pastor or praying, Mm -hmm. you know. And I often tell folks um, a great deal of the time, I've been saying this for over 20 years. If you go to the doctor because you feel an ailment in your physical body, you have to do the same for your brain health. Get some help when it's needed, when it's necessary. Uh, we have to break down those areas of shame
1: mm-hmm.
2: and also defeat that stigma that goes along with getting help.
1: Yes. Now our guests are usually the older of our population the oldest <laughs> i would say and there comes a there's a division among generations that believe it's okay to go to a therapist or it's not okay or this is something we as black people would never do so i would i'm going to put it on the older generation of being in the camp of I'm not going to see a doctor about my mental health. What are you talking about? So (laughs) that's my um, imitation of my grandparent. So (laughs) how do we, how do we approach that lovingly and um, get them help?
2: The best way I have found that we can lovingly engage our uh, more seasoned, you know, family members in our community, um, start and meet them where they are understand their patterns of belief and their behavior, understand their external environment. Once you assess those areas, and those are some of the things I do coach the families through. If they only want to focus on, I need to go see my pastor or my deacon, You know, many of our seniors, um, our seniors tend to focus on going back to our, you know, um, avenues of faith, Mm -hmm. engage them. And a lot of clinicians have started to form relationships with our clergy, um, with our faith based communities because of that factor. Many families will reach out wondering Are there specific therapists or programs that will cater to our uh, seasoned family members? And there are folks that can specialize in those needs. The other avenue that you can take to gauge them in getting them the help that they need, which they may be resistant to, we need to also start partnering with their healthcare professionals. Mm. Many of our older adults will continue with the same healthcare professional or clinic. Okay, and what I mean by clinic, they're familiar with that environment. Even though they may see a different nurse practitioner or a different physician, they're familiar with that clinic. So a lot of our community clinics within our urban areas, they're starting to um, partner with mental health uh, professionals to make sure they're on standby Mm -hmm. when those needs are, uh, you know, are pronounced. Um, So those are two of the ways that I think that we can really start to gauge um, our older uh, seasoned community, uh, making sure they get the help that they need. There's a lot of hesitancy Mm -hmm. because of the fact. We don't do that. We weren't raised that way. We're raised to pray it away, or we're raised to have family meetings. We're raised to handle things within our household, or with, depending on what culture you come from. I'm from Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tend to go to the family unit, we go to the elders of the family, and they pray over it. Or even some communities have spiritual leaders um, that they may go to. So we need to respect all of those aspects. We cannot downplay where they are. We have to understand and respect it and find out how we may be able to incorporate some of their beliefs in order for them to get the help that they need.
0: And when you look at uh, mental health, what point is it that you you see that the red flag is there and say, okay, we need to get some help?
2: I think... Each stage of change, whether it's, you know, when we have milestone birthdays, I like family members, you know, whenever there's any concern. And also when I say the the faith-based community, they're learning how to even use certain language to to, to get the family members to start gauging and trying to dig a little further, but start having those conversations where um, if you notice that they're having health ailments Mm. with those health ailments may come an emotional response. With that emotional response, you can start building upon that and having the conversations to assess, how are you adjusting? what's going on. The other piece is taking a look at all of the loss. When you look at our older uh, adult population, they've lost many family members, friends, classmates and their community of support. So we have to pay attention to what that grief means because it's been building up for so many years. Those are two examples of how you can start gauging to see what needs are there and what they need to, to do to start assessing to get some support for their loved one.
1: These can be some tough years. Would there be more factors, more signs of needing mental health than what you mentioned um, previously? I have a feeling there are some more.
2: Yes, there are a number of additional factors to please take a look at. I approach things in a more holistic manner. And what I mean by that, I think that we all need to be sensitive when looking at our older adult population. We need to pay attention to any diet changes. Mm. We need to pay attention to their sleep. We need to pay attention to the presenting moods and the fluctuations. Um, you, You never know if that dysregulation can be caused by underlying depression, anxiety. It could be an issue of grief. Um, it could be an issue of a response to a physical ailment. Again, as I was mentioning earlier, um, so we need to pay attention to those. Pay attention to their communication styles and their patterns. Pay attention to their facial expression. Please start paying attention to their body movements. Um, all of those things are significant. I know we all tend to say, "Oh, you know, I'm going to take a look to say make sure there isn't Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or any of those things in place." There are other symptoms outside of. The- Those disorders that we need to take a look at and assess on a regular basis. One of the things that I push family members to do is to make sure they stay connected to their older population. Mm -hmm. I know it happens. um, And I know currently with us being in a state of, you know, pandemic panic, uh, right now, we just had a new panic a few weeks ago with this new uh, surge. One of the things I try to push family members, do not just put them say in a supportive environment and rely on that supportive staff Mm. to engage with your loved one. Please check in with your loved one. You will also be surprised at how our seniors are able to manage technology for those who are not able to see their loved ones face to face. With a little assistance, they can sit in front of an iPad, some of them have smartphones, or they can sit in front of a computer and they can Mm -hmm. communicate and kind of share what's going on. So I'd like to say, take a look at what's going on with them physically, pay attention to their sleep patterns, pay attention to the presenting moods as they fluctuate, pay attention to their diet and what they're eating, and also pay attention to how they're responding to their environmental factors.
0: Now, let's just say grandma or grandpa is in their 90s or their late 80s, and they're not trying to do anything that's different from what they're used to, especially when it comes to getting treatment or taking medications. (laughs) How do you uh, finesse them in a way to say, hey, we need to see the doctor about this? And, and what are the treatments that often come along with this?
2: One of the things that I have found that has been helpful, I have actually gone into supportive environments and you can call them a nursing home or you know long-term living facility. I have actually gone into these facilities and met with groups to where we call them kind of like social groups, but I utilize, you know, varying activities, but I give these to the same, the family members, questionnaires, turn it into an activity. They will engage you if they think that they're, because of the fact they have limited activity and some of them, you know, emotionally may be limited and some of them may be physically limited and they crave some of that interaction. There's ways you can sneak in and conduct assessments, I like to call them, um, somewhat in a group setting. Sometimes, you know, you can utilize a group setting to gain the access that you need to make a thorough diagnosis or to move on, engage them. I have also found that by doing some of these group activities, whether it's with family or within their community, they start to develop a sense of trust with you to where they will meet with you individually. They will have a conversation with you off to the side where you can explain to them what's going on. This is something I'm noticing. Tell me, you know, if I'm right, they they, they tend to open up once they feel as though you can be trusted and you respect them, you know, and that's something when you talk about conducting a mental wellness assessment, any type of assessment, we don't treat, train people. We train people on, you know, establishing rapport, right? But when you're dealing with the senior community, you have to establish levels of respect, that's something that I try to train my students, I've tried to train my interns on. You have to work with them with levels of respect and understanding what their belief system is. Once you understand, have an idea of what their belief system is, you're able to have those communications with them. And also, if the family is involved, if they still have family members, you're able to utilize that training and, and help enhance those skills with the family members. The family members are the ones who will be participating in their care with the doctors.
1: Yeah, but the family members can also be barriers.
2: Exactly. They can be barriers, significant barriers. And when you start that process, you're able to identify that and then figure out a way. What else do you identify as family or who are those key family members? Um, Boundaries are key. And I think sometimes people forget what boundaries are when it comes to our senior population. Boundaries are not for other people. Boundaries are for you, the individual. One of the things I do communicate with our senior uh, community um, population is establishing what those boundaries are and also understanding when to break down those boundaries and barriers to let other people in. Um, Trust and abuse is is a huge issue that goes on, whether it's financial abuse, physical abuse, um, mental emotional abuse. Um, it's a major issue. Um, obviously, we have adult protective services that work with that population immensely. So we have to pay attention to all of those factors. And the other piece is, and this is something that I assessed back in 2017 and I really delved further into it. You know, when I look at someone who's in their 80s and some of the behaviors that they still exhibit. Having those conversations, I've had conversations with folks who are 84, 82, 83, who have existing trauma mm. that has never been dealt with their entire lives. Mm. And they still have learned how to, to, to move forward. So there's so many barriers that mm-hmm. could be, you know, causing them not to seek the help, you know, um, as far as getting the treatment that they need.
0: A lot of times, I guess you find people resistant because they just aren't sure. Does this work? How does this work? And what's required of me to change? (laughs) Um, So how do you make it holistic enough uh, to make it comfortable for them to say, you know, I'm going to get this help that I need? And how does that work?
2: I believe in the collaborative approach. If you are getting the individual to finally get the help, I think a collaborative approach works. Um, Something I do personally, and I encourage others to do, I have releases of information signed for all of their healthcare providers, all of Ah. them, so we can communicate. We have to have that intersecting uh, modality as far as coming up with systems of care, Mm -hmm. because if you are working with a senior, you're not going, I can't work with a senior the same way I would, well, I don't work with adolescents anymore, Mm. but the same way I would work with a 16 or 18 year old. Um, I can't take that same approach to say, here's a treatment plan, follow it. We have to work collaboratively for them to understand and see, okay, if she's working with my doctor here and I have gout or I have diabetes, my doctor sees that I can trust this person. Those are some of the modalities you can use to get them to believe, to see the benefit. They may not see the benefit because of the fact, say, if they need medication for anxiety or depression,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: the medication takes some medications, take a few weeks, you know, sometimes a month for any impact to be seen or felt. Mm -hmm. That can also be a challenge. You know, hey, I'm taking this medication. Why am I not feeling better two days later? Okay, so a lot of education, a lot of patience, a lot of respect has to go into that and the collaborative approach makes all of the difference when working with our older adult population. If someone is not feeling well, or once they start feeling better, they stop taking their medications. So we have to make sure we have all of those different pieces in place. Part of the treatment plan and what I go over when I develop that um, plan of action with the family to help make sure they're supporting their loved one, we have Mm -hmm. to make sure there's a level of accountability there and everyone has a role. Identify whose role is what in supporting that older adult to make sure their medications are being taken. Um, Communicating with the doctors, the facilitations. The other thing is sometimes the group setting, as I said, I used to go into a lot of, you know, with the pandemic, you're not able to do those things right now. And that concerns me. But, you know, the group setting is another way of working with the individual. So you can assess, is this person's mood changing? Are they participatory? Mm -hmm. Where's their communication? Where's their eye contact? Okay. Um, And right now with the pandemic, it has posed a lot of those problems in making sure that we're accurately diagnosing and treating. The family members have to really gain a lot of education in order to reach out to the mental health professionals to get them involved with their loved ones, just because of the dynamic, the ever-changing pandemic that's going on. And it frightens me because a lot of people are not getting the care that they need so many of our loved ones, the isolation, you know, some had the opportunity to see their loved ones through a window, but the disconnect, has been so great, you know, so we're having higher levels of depression, higher levels of anxiety as to what's to come. And we also have to remember when this pandemic broke. I mean, I'm just kinda, I know we're talking overall, but I'm kinda bringing it back to where we are today. When the pandemic broke, we lost a lot of our senior community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of them were dealing with that trauma. They're dealing with that anxiety associated with that. What does that mean if my grandson comes to visit me? Am I able to hug him? Human touch is important, and they can't have a lot of that because of what we're dealing with today.
1: You are very impressive. <laughs> I could tell that you have had a lot of experience. So what scares me more is that we might have, um, that there aren't enough mental health professionals out there. I mean, is this a job opportunity? And I, I think it is. But are we lacking in how many people are trained well and are coming into the profession? Uh, How, I know, remember there was a nursing shortage. Is there a shortage here? I'm I'm a little concerned because it seems like the need is so great. Okay.
2: We have had a shortage to the point um, our counseling associations our Let me just say our counseling, our therapeutic associations and licensing boards have also um, allowed our counselor interns, those who have finished their master's degree and they're getting their hours for their licensure. Mm -hmm. They have allowed those individuals to actually start billing because of the shortage under the supervision of a fully credentialed Supervisor. So they have allowed that. The other thing that is happening on the flip side there are a lot of clinicians who are leaving because of the overload and, you know, managing what's happening with their families, managing COVID. Many of them have become ill. Many of them have just become overwhelmed with their own emotions, trying to make it through the pandemic. So we have it on both ends. You have those who are coming in and they're being provided provisions to, you know, to offer care. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I do know, we do not have enough clinicians serving the senior population. That we're really lacking Mm -hmm. in that area. One of the areas that I know that has been very supportive to help us clinicians are nurse practitioners. Our nurse practitioners have been the bridge between us and their medical doctors and their medical teams. They have done an, a, an amazing job in trying to make that connection and making sure things are, are running smoothly. The other portion of this I want to talk about are the social workers and some of the case managers who they work with. Yeah. Um, I recently, last year, I worked with a program. They um, and I hope they re- they obtain it's not about the financial gain, but they did a lot of work with our Seniors to where we were able to engage with the social worker and the senior and they were able to do it on the screen mm-hmm. okay because they missed their community engagement and some of them had to go back to loved ones who really did not know how to properly care and also socially help them socially gain you know the skills that they need to continue to thrive so when we take a look and you hear me talk about that collaboration i think it's just so important nurse practitioners have been a tremendous help engaging us and the medical team and being that bridge in between we need clinicians. people are retiring and this pandemic has caused a lot of stress to where people have actually left as well so i I'm very open and honest. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of clinicians who had to seek their own help um, which right. is not a bad thing. you know we're telling others to get help, so we need to know when we need help. There's always help for the helper, and that's what we call it who helps the professional the helping professional. So if you know anyone that's interested, they need some insight in which path they like to go, I and I have other clinicians that they can talk to, we do need you because there is a shortage right now. I think you've seen the commercials and even on social media, you see all these commercials with BetterHelp and all these various platforms because everyone's afraid and so many people. The majority of clinicians are still doing virtual and you know our seniors don't like that. So that, you know, that that's a major challenge, you know, Um, they don't like that they want the face to face. We have to think about the cultural components as well. They, They just don't like it.
0: So what form of mental illness are we seeing among seniors? What is it? Is it anxiety, depression? Is it the beginning of dementia, psychosis, all these things that, that could be happening? What is it that uh, you see oftentimes?
2: We're seeing high rates of uh, depression and anxiety. The anxiety is coming from the unknown, the ever-changing unknown as okay. to what's going on with this pandemic. The depression tends to come more so from the disconnection, the fact that they're not connected to their loved ones in their social circles and the activities out there in the, in the public, in the fear, when we look at dementia, that that's a neurological challenge. So if you have that compounded on top of mental health, they're all brain disorders in different manners. Um, but that combination can be very detrimental to the individual. And then all of those things can impact your heart rate. Those things can impact your blood pressure. Mm. So those are some of the other areas that I do talk to the family members that, you know, pay attention to these other factors to see what's going on with their mental health. The other thing is certain medications. I'll throw one out, gabapentin, for example. Gabapentin can be a very you know, useful medication, but they give it a lot to our seniors for various things, whether it's nerves, whether it's pain, whether it's to help them sleep, whether it's to help with anxiety. You see, so... When we talk about all of these different factors, mm-hmm. the medications and so forth, we have to utilize a collaborative approach in order to fully understand if it's depression, if it's anxiety or a combination of both and what works best for them.
1: And how do you spell that medication again? Gavapentin?
2: Oh, Gavapentin? That was just an example. Um, G A B. A-T-E-N-I-N, gabapentin,
1: T-I-N. And so we have to look out for gabapentin and some other things I I hear. Thank you, Helena. We'll be back more when we return. Mm -hmm.
0: Welcome back to our program. We're talking about mental health. Now, Helena, I have a question for you. When it comes to depression, anxiety, what are some of the signs and what do we look for?
2: Some of the signs and symptoms that you can look for when it comes to looking at anxiety and depression or any other mood disorder um, or combination of, as far as to take a look at, are they sleeping longer you know, than, than they usually do? Are they having difficulty going to sleep? Many times if your anxiety is very high, it's very hard to sleep. So mm-hmm. they, they may not be getting a full night's rest, which will impact how they communicate, the irritation, the agitation. You may see moments of high levels of anger and frustration, impatience. Those are some of the things to take a look at. Also, lack of communication, you know or li- you know just limited communication altogether. I' have also seen seniors where they don't want to communicate. Okay, so those are some of the things when we talk about the lists of anxiety and depression, it's different than looking at it from a 20 year old's perspective. Mm -hmm. You have to take a look at their whole network of system because their system is so closed. It's not as broad as someone who's 20 or someone who's 16 or someone who's 30. It's so close. You have to identify all of those various areas of change. How has their diet changed? Okay, are they eating more? Are they eating less? How resistant are they to their medication? That is a major issue. I have worked with families who are having a hard time with their loved one taking their medication because some of them become so depressed. They feel like they're going to give up. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking this anymore. What difference does it make? I'm hopeless. When that hopelessness kicks in, that's a major sign. Let me get my loved one some help when they start speaking very hopelessly. Hopelessness is very dangerous. Yeah. Hopelessness leads to very, very heavy levels of of depression uh, to where when we talk about this particular community, this population, the hopelessness and the levels of depression can also impact the heart in ways that it doesn't with a Mm 20-year-old. So those are some of the key things. I like to look at cause and effect. I like to take a look at what other you know, ailments could be take causing place, taking place to cause this. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we need to make sure, is it organic? What I mean by is it organic? Is this depression or anxiety caused by a new diagnosis? Is the physical diagnosis causing this reaction to bring about the depression and anxiety? Mm -hmm. Um, So that of course goes back to you working closely with your medical team to make sure all of a sudden my loved one is behaving in this manner, this agitation, or they're sleeping or eating or they're so depressed, what else can be going on? So there are different screens that need to be used. This is a very sensitive population to work with and you have to understand and know the proper questions to ask in order to get that proper communication to their loved one and their medical team.
1: And I can imagine that treatment goes, um, it's a wide range of treatments that we can apply, right? It's not just a pill. (laughs) Some of the things we can expect in the treatment phase, please.
2: Some of the things in the treatment phase is first and foremost, communication with your medical team, understanding, and I say this so that you can work with your family members, Mm -hmm. understanding all of the medications because of reactions. Mm -hmm. That's first and foremost, never take or stop. And I know we see it all the time, taking nerve pills. We see that during funerals. Oh, girl, take a nerve pill. Mm. No, we're not going to give somebody Valium or Ativan. You don't know what other medication they're taking that can cause a negative um, side effect. The other thing is we need to also pay attention to how can you incorporate group Sometimes, you know, in, especially in supportive living environments, a lot of the times they have a lot of community activities and groups Mm -hmm. work with the social workers. That's a huge piece to raise the mood. Um, We, well, I'm not sure if you all know, one of the things that can really start getting the, the chemicals in the brain flowing is a hug. Hmm. Sometimes that human and it has been medically proven. Sometimes the human interaction can make all of the difference in helping someone meaning group group activities are not always just sitting in a group talking have group activities where you're able to facilitate brain games. OK, there are particular brain games that you can do with our senior population that they're enjoyable, but it also stimulates the brain, which stimulates certain chemicals that will lower, you know, certain levels. When we talk about the serotonin and dopamine, and that's another conversation um, when we talk about the serotonin, dopamine and the norepinephrine that's in our brains, you um, some of those things can start flowing and they can change the synapses and the modalities. The group activities can also bring out levels of creativity. It can spike the mood. So it's not just about those chemicals flowing. The mood can be spiked because they're having that engagement. Mm-hmm. Figure ways out, you know, identify those family members that really matter that they miss. Sometimes those activities and family, the family group sessions are very helpful when you have that commitment from the family. And it's not a family session where everyone's just sitting in a circle talking about family problems. (laughs) Family sessions when you're working with the senior community is to address their concerns. Listen to them. It's kind of like you're refereeing so that their voice can be heard, and that is so important. We cannot impose what we only think is right because we pulled up WebMD, (laughs) because we watch a YouTube video or we saw something on social media. We have to have opportunities for them to have their voices heard so we can properly know what's going on with them and if they're getting better. So I do support family interaction, family counseling and family sessions um, and not, you know, the the typical family modality and also their group interaction and their one on one interaction with you. Once that trust is established, you can go so far with the individual because they're excited and they they look forward to seeing you. Don't have a flat tire and you're late because they look forward to seeing you when you say you're coming.
0: (laughs) That's true. Now, for seniors that might be on their own. I mean, they really might be on their own Like, No family is close by and they need help. What, what do you tell them? What can they do or what should they do? If they get to a point and they say, you know, I really need help with this. I don't really have anyone around that could take me or help me right now. What do I do?
2: When I get those calls from the social workers um, or the, the case managers in situations like that, one of the things I try to do is work closely with that case manager after meeting with the individual, assessing and understanding what their needs and their concerns are and their fears, understanding all of those components. Sometimes we can help them create what a family could be. What family means. You can help recreate that, and it takes time. Um, pulling together those resources, pulling together. But the key of what I said, we need to listen to them to understand what they're missing. They could have come from a very stressful situation, and they've already, you know, had in their mind what they wished a family system could be. Um, the other pieces, their family members could have passed on they may have you know, witnessed or experienced significant losses with their families moving on, or some are abandoned. We all know that that does happen. You put them in a supportive environment and they're on their own. I would try to assess and also create opportunities to create an external community for them, to offer them that support. There are some good adult daycare programs that are available, um, that you can transport them from their current environment to another, because sometimes they need that. They need that activity to get out, to go explore, to go on a field trip, or just to be in the environment with someone else. So creating what that could be for them, recreating what family means for them is very important. But the number one thing you will continue to hear me say, because I've seen it so many times, we need to listen to our seniors. We cannot just imposing what we want. Right. We have to listen and respect what their needs are, putting those resources in place.
1: And when you mention adult centers, I'm thinking staffing. <laughs> we still need people to work them. We need transportation people to get them there. So again, more job opportunities, I hope. <laughs> I hope <laughs> who's paying for this? As um, Are there government programs out there maybe that are supporting or... Are we relying on our private sector?
2: Both. Um, Medicare covers a lot. And I think people need to understand and really dig into some of the pieces of Medicare that they haven't looked into. Medicare covers a lot. And again, for example, the program I worked here, there's a lot of programs that are grant funded. And a lot of those grants are renewed and those programs continue year after year. Some of them are short term, but there are programs out there that cover that. Sometimes you can call, we have numbers here where we can call. You can also call your United Way. Every community has United Way. United Way has almost every resource listed or can send you to um, a website or give you a phone number where you can find private and public sector options for our senior um, community. The other thing I would like to ask you know, I grew up in a world when I was back in the seventies. I think y'all know we didn't have mega churches. Right.
1: <laughs> we have
2: mega churches. Right. I would reach out to some of our large churches in the community. They all have programs that cater to our older adult population, and they may also have resources that they can help support, you know, the family, social worker, or the clinician, especially back to the question, if they're alone, if I'm a clinician and I know this person doesn't have family or support, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to take time, build it in, Mm -hmm. take time to find those resources that I think can help support that individual through this tough time
0: and got to ask you know how when we we're younger we bounce back so quick mm-hmm. physically and I guess mentally too so when you're older you know that's not the case when if you injure your physical limb or fall or whatever what, what about mentally overcoming and coming back into center if you will well, what does that look like in terms of the healing process mental healing process
2: Resilience in the older adult population looks different than, you know, 20, 30, 40 year old. Um, Resilience is different and understanding what that resilience is. That resilience can be um, coming out of that depression and wanting to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. That resilience can be embracing their pet again. That resilience can be wanting to engage in their community again. It takes time. Um, And the fact that they've had so many experiences, understanding where they are and what's going on can help rebuild that resilience. The other piece that I did mention is because I have run into many seniors who have underlying traumatic experiences, sometimes that resilience is different. It's going to take them a while to bounce back. And you have to understand and how to treat, you know, them getting past. But resilience within an older adult is assessing and figuring out those things that can help brighten up the mood. It takes a while sometimes, especially with the medication aspect, because medications take sometimes four to six weeks to actually start working. The efficacy is not always measured appropriately because this is taking too long and I shouldn't feel this way. So we have to make sure their diet is appropriate. We have to make sure their physical activity is appropriate. We have to make sure whatever those external and internal forces that they need um, are in place, whether it's a pet, whether there's certain things that you can do to engage an older adult that you can add that maybe they've never had before that they're interested in. We do have supportive programs with pets, puppies, Uh kittens, (laughs) cats work well, you know, because they're kind of. Lazy, I not call lazy. To lay around they're there. Be, yeah. yeah they're there. They keep you company and they give you love.
1: <laughs> right. Um,
2: right. So I hope that answered the question as far as understanding their resilience and how they're able to bounce back, understanding that pattern and those stages. There's stages to it, understanding their stages of healing.
0: And I was thinking about that in terms of anxiety and depression and some of these other things that we can be you know, engulfed in the fear of all of this. And I think physical diet is one thing, but then your mental diet is something else because if all you're consuming is news, I'll say news, (laughs) and everything else that comes at us, I mean, how can older adults, seniors, change that mental diet to uh, help them not, you know, face some of the mental challenges that could come with that?
2: I, I can't watch CNN and MSNBC. It's just too much. It is. It's creating sickness. The anxiety that comes along with watching the news. Introduce them to Netflix or Prime or something. Um, And people are like, you can't like, I'd rather them watch a movie than sitting there watching news all day long. If that's what they choose to do, get them to move around and let them watch a, a decent movie, a documentary or something versus the news. The news is very unhealthy for people.
1: So you mentioned, Elena, that you're from Africa, specifically Liberia, I think, right? Yes, I am. That's very cool. Any similarities that you see with how we take care of each other here versus back home? We're very, very
2: family oriented. One of the things my grandmother, rest her soul, she would always say when she came to America, we work too much. Hmm. She just said, you guys are always working. I agree. Um, We're very, very family oriented. We don't have nursing homes. Our elders took care of us. So we take care of them. Whether it's a grandparent, a great uncle, a great aunt, we take care of our loved ones. And you tend to see that here, unless there's a physical challenge where we're not able to, then you may have a supportive environment, but very seldom you will see here in America You don't see us put our loved ones in nursing homes. We don't have them. The elder gains a lot of respect Mm -hmm. and we give it to them. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a problem with a marriage, they're taking it to the family. They're pulling in the elder. And they're gonna pull everyone together and you're gonna solve that problem. Mm. That's our marriage and family counseling session mm. right there. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: <laughs> they're starting to open up ideas of mental wellness, mental health. But of mm. course, culturally, we are a people who rely on our faith, we rely within the family. Right. Of course, looking at the cultural aspects, sometimes still dealing with shame. It's not, I, I don't wanna call it stigma. Mm-hmm. Here we use the word stigma we look at it being more shameful. And I know some folks will ask me, well, what's the difference? Right. Sometimes it's more of a sign of weakness. That's how it's more so looked at more so than what we look at here. When we talk about the stigma and the embarrassment and a moral failure mm-hmm. here, we look at it as a moral failure to have addiction, to have a mental you know, challenge mm-hmm. in my country. It's not that way, but the family orientation, I mean, gen- you'll see generations just loving mm-hmm. on each other, but the love of family is, just, it's tremendous. And the support of community.
0: What was it that got you into this field in the first place?
2: Well, originally, um, I had a bleeding heart. And because I came from another country with two African parents raising me in America back in the day, I said, I was just going to be a therapist working with girls from foreign countries because their Mm. parents don't get it. Mm. I was a teenager when I said that. And all through high school, everyone asked me, what were you going to be? I said, I'm going to be a therapist working with girls who come from foreign countries. Obviously God had other plans and I broadened. And one of the things that was key for me was making sure that I worked in a very, very diverse manner to make sure I could meet the family's needs.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Yes, thank so you. i so grateful.
2: I thank you guys for allowing me the time. So hopefully, you know, it's beneficial for you, your audience.
1: Thank you, Helena Washington, for your expertise.
0: Oh, yes. And to our listeners, let's hear your concerns when it comes to seniors in your circles. Drop us a line by downloading the KBLA 1580 app, clicking on the mic, and leaving us a voice message.
1: Yes, and please also reach out to us at BeforeYouGo.tv. That's the website, BeforeYouGo.tv. We want to hear from you.
0: And before we go.
1: We want to remind everyone that connecting with our seniors is sometimes just a phone call away.
0: Just pick up the phone and make that call.
1: There is no time like the present.
0: What What a a gift. What a gift.